So welcome to the latest edition of the uh, Live to Shoot podcast where we talk about all things Second Amendment. So uh, times are still uh, uncertain and crazy as they have been, um, but I thought this uh, today I would not you know, talk about anything going on currently, we talk about the coronavirus or anything like that, and we would just go back into history and look at the, the first gun control law, the National Firearms Act of 1934, and you know how it came to be and um, you know what it entailed and and where it is today um, so the National Farms Act of 1934 the NFA and the NFA is now where we get the uh, what we call weapons like uh, full autos and SBRs that they're NFA weapons because they fall under this 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 code and uh, that was put in place in 1934 and so during this time uh, which right, you know, during and towards the end of Prohibition and gang violence had escalated um, primarily in Chicago with a hotbed. And one of the things that led up to the, um, the enacting of this law was the, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago where the Northside Irish had uh, seven of their members killed by the Southside Italian gang, which was led by by Al Capone. And then during that raid, they used uh, Tommy guns for the attack. And those were the, the you know, fully auto semi-machine guns uh, that we know of. But the, you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, the Tommy guns had been around for a while, uh, really hadn't uh, gained in popularity. The law enforcement had re uh, rejected them. They were preferring to stick with their pistols, revolvers, and the, the rifles that they had. But uh, the gangs had started to utilize them, and so the violent, uh, violence had started to increase, and so you know there was a big uproar and um, wanting to in society wanting to uh, calm this down. So uh, Congress enacted the uh, National Firearm Act of 1934 on, on June 26 of 1934. In the original version of it, they were going to include pistols and revolvers, but uh, eventually, it came down to machine guns, short barrel rifles, short barrel shotguns, silencers, and what they call any other weapon. And at the time, you know, the ATF didn't exist. There was no real enforcement agency for this, and the uh, they were concerned about uh, getting resistance because of the Second Amendment. So uh, they decided to enact this in in the Treasury Department and utilize the taxing powers of Congress. And so they enacted a $200 tax on these items to do their transfer. And at that time, that was quite punitive. It's equivalent of about $3,700 in today's dollars and was far more costly than the actual weapon itself. Um, interesting thing though, again, since they didn't really have any um, enforcement uh, there really a lot of people didn't know about this this was kind of what ignored uh, throughout you know that time period you know World War II uh, um, started up you know shortly thereafter a lot of men went off to fight uh, so it you know really was not a known uh, thing at the time they did create the National Firearms Registry Transfer Record, and this is where 
these items that are transferred are recorded. It is the actually the only legal registry um, at the federal level currently. Um, so, uh, you know, the interesting thing is, is when I look at this is, you know, why still you wonder why short barrel rifles, short barrel shotguns, silencers, why were those uh, put in this, you know, I guess, you know, originally they actually weren't going to include pistols and revolvers. Uh, so they were really trying to include almost all firearms. And so there really wasn't any designation that these were more deadly or anything like that. Um, and I can imagine that just in the negotiations, they were able to pull out the pistols and revolvers uh, for reasonless sake. Um, but um, the SBRs and uh, short barrels, uh, shotguns and silencers were still included um, as a, well, you know, nobody's really going to complain about that. Uh, you know, we continue to always talk about when gun control comes into to a conversation about the slippery slope. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't disagree about the fact that, you know, machine guns, fully auto weapons, uh, need to be uh, controlled a little bit more, but I'm not really sure what the evidence is around that. Um, in that, there's still today, you know, even even uh, following this law, uh, not much um, crime related to these types of weapons. Uh, they're you know they're not effective in um, close quarters in terms of being accurate, they're hard to maintain, they're um, difficult to shoot. And like I said, you know, that this really wasn't enforced. And in the 1960s, in fact, they had an um, amnesty period of about two months that they enforced because a lot of men had come back um, from World War II, Korea, um, even Vietnam, and had brought back weapons that they had or they had their weapons that had been acquired during this time period that were never um, legally transferred. And so they created an amnesty period where you could register these weapons legally, make them legally owned, and um, regardless of how you, you came about them. So there was a great number of weapons out there that got registered during this time. So, you know, the ownership didn't really uh, change because of the NFA um, law from 1934, and so, and but the you know the, the crime still wasn't seen. So I guess my point is that I'm trying to get to is that while it seems reasonable today, there's really no evidence still today that fully auto weapons are, and this is in comparison to even the semi-automatic weapons that um, are now such a debate, um, any more deadly than. Uh, any other weapon, and it still comes down to the person behind the weapon. But anyway, so a little bit about the NFA process. Who can who can actually own one? Well, any individual, a trust, an estate, partnership, a corporation, or um, company can actually own an NFA weapon. They're considered. They're called uh, Title II weapons. Uh, sometimes we refer to them as Class Three. That's not accurate. Class Three refers to the tax status of 
the individual transferring it, that would be SOT. Uh, Title II um, refers to that they were um, listed in the uh, Title II of the Gun Control Act of 1968. Others are listed as Title I. So, you know, they're either NFA or, or Title II. Um, if you want to actually purchase one, uh, the transfer process is very similar. Uh, it's done on a form, form 4. You have to pay your $200 tax, so the tax has not changed since 1934. It's less punitive um, than it was before. Um, but um, we'll talk about uh, why, in a, probably another episode, why full auto is still now, um, instead of the tax being the, the, uh, um, the gating um, element, it's now the cost. Of, of those full auto weapons and why that is, and we'll talk about that um, um, later. Um, in another episode, but uh, it, we had a um, the ATF 41F process, which uh, changed some of the process. It used to be that um, individuals uh, had to get fingerprints, photographs, um, and uh, sign off from local law enforcement and if you did it in an entity like trust uh, you didn't have any of those types of requirements uh, that came along and said hey we're going to make it all the same uh, for the most part and uh, so it, from the processing standpoint it made it um, there's no difference between doing it as an individual versus uh, some legal entity there's uh, other legal considerations to take into effect of why you might want to do your transfer in the form of a trust but um, um, we'll talk about that maybe in another episode at some point. So that's the, the NFA Act of 1934. We'll uh, probably start talking about some of the other gun control laws uh, in uh, later episodes. Um, but like always, if you like this episode, just uh, subscribe to it. My email is in the uh, notes. Email me with any questions or comments. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening.